because I see a lot of these students that are like badasses and they want to rebel and they want to because that was always me like that's yeah you want to be a badass and stuff but we'll see how far that'll that'll last you know because life isn't life isn't about you you know it's never like that's not what this world is about Be patient in an emergency is a terrible trial. Welcome back to the Building Hope podcast. We're featuring environmentally visionary architectural projects to explore how good design can build hope in a world facing a climate emergency. We're your hosts. I'm Julie Gabrielli, a professor of architecture at the University of Maryland. And I'm Vincenza Perla, a current graduate student at the University of Maryland. Our final episode for this season is Building Hope from Vision to Action. We wanted to wrap up with a special two-part episode recorded live in the Architecture School Library with some of our guests and a gathering of current students. I remember we started planning this months before and we said, let's have a live event and we'll hold it in the library. It'll be super fun. We'll get a lot of students to come and get them excited about the podcast. And as it got closer, we realized, oh, we don't know how to record something mm. in the field. What, like, where, who, where's the equipment? How do we do this? Yeah, like, is it going to sound insane? How are the acoustics in the architecture library? That's something I'm very tuned into now is how things sound everywhere. But it actually wound up being, we had actually a lot of great conversations and a lot of people spoke up about ideas that they would have never had the platform kind of to say before. Yeah, Yeah. so we're excited to introduce you all to our event moderator, who is Dr. Georgianne Matthews, and she's a new assistant professor here at the Architecture School. And I actually had the privilege of serving on the faculty search committee last year where we ended up finding her and offering her this position, and she's been amazing. And in both teaching and practice, her areas of concentration are sustainable design, urban design, real estate development, architecture, and project management. So she has a range of skills and talents. Yeah, so we brought back Ava Omidvar from episode two, whose project explored climate resilience. Melanie Quintanilla from episode three, who looked at designing a beautiful community school, and Leah Clark from episode four, who created a pop-up community to shelter the unhoused. And the students who came are studying architecture, community planning, historic preservation, and real estate. And they got to be engaged in some of the same conversations we've been having on these juicy topics like housing as a human right, environmental justice, and being part of a movement. And then we got to talk about some new topics, which are really pressing matters for our guests and the current students, like finding a firm that matches your values and how to prevent burnout. And since this is a podcast about building hope, we can't end this season without considering what are we building hope for?
we're recording this at the end of April, and so we're in the tag end of Earth Month, and Earth Day was last weekend. And my e-newsletter from Building Green was, um, you know, they had an Earth Day issue. And Building Green is a really great source of information and research about all things environmental. For this Earth Day issue, they did something differently than they had done in the past. And what they did was they asked young people to weigh in on how they think it's going with the environment. One of the questions featured in the article was, what is your message for older generations? And one of the responses was, for those in power who are willfully preventing meaningful and equitable climate action, move over. Move over. (laughs) Move over. Get out the way. I love it. Here's another. You do not know everything. Your age gives you no wisdom, only habits you need to break. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. And finally, just, I wish you would listen. And so that's something that's come up in a lot of conversations this season, actually. And our guests, young as they are, already know that listening is a powerful design tool. And on this topic of listening, we thought we'd address some of the questions that we'd gotten about the podcast thus far. And the first one is, what drew us to architecture? I've always loved puzzles and patterns, even as a kid, and drawing and math and, you know, the usual suspects. And I just kind of fell into architecture and just always loved it from the start. Um, You know, a summer career discovery program at Carnegie Mellon in high school. Then I applied to architecture programs, and that's kind of it. Like, I never considered anything else until later in life when I kept having my, you know, midlife crises, (laughs) one right after the other. Um, But part of that was because it was, I was just out of grad school when I first learned the role that my beloved chosen profession and the building industry in general have in damaging the environment and wasting energy and resources. And on the other hand, I was so jazzed to learn more and more about all the ways that we can do better and how we can participate in the repair of that damage. And yet there's this tension because our profession values and orients to providing answers and to solving problems. And sometimes that's at the expense of raising difficult questions like, why are we doing it this way? Do we have to keep doing it this way? Could we do it this other way? And the conversations that we've had throughout the season of this podcast have reminded me of the power of asking questions and especially of listening. Yeah, and so for so for me, I mean, I have memories kind of of my family. My dad um, was in construction, and I guess he had to watch us sometimes and would, like, take me and my siblings over to construction sites and let us just run around. Did you have little hard hats? No. Oh, <laughs> I could just picture it. Yeah, it was... Um, little yellow hard hats. <laughs> <laughs> we probably should have, but... Yeah. I mean, it was just something, construction and buildings and whatnot was just something that had been in my family. Mm. And so I was familiar with it. And then the whole like puzzle thing, personality thing, it kind of just was something that I was like, okay, architecture could kind of fit if I have to do something for the rest of my life. Yeah, right. (laughs) Architecture could be it. Um, 
But interestingly, the reason why I actually chose it kind of ties into the realization you came to later in life was like, buildings are kind of this necessary evil. So Mm. I want to be part of, I want to learn how to design buildings and be part of the movement of, can we make these buildings better for people, better for the world? I love that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We were having a conversation after, um, I don't know, taping for one of the episodes and, and, and you asked me, you know, what was it like when you were in school and you didn't have to think about any of this stuff? You didn't have to think about like climate oh, resilience yeah. or energy efficiency and sustainable yeah. design and all that. We were just purely learning design almost as an art form for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Which is not really how it should be. It's not how buildings are. And I think when I was asking you this question, it's like, yes, this is why I got into architecture, but having to juggle the art of architecture and the tectonics and then the science of it all at the same time, it can be, it's a lot for yeah. young people to... <laughs> I know. Well, and the cultural responsibility is a lot for anybody because they're, it's a profession that just has a lot of moving parts and a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I feel like I kind of learned them a little more sequentially um, but on the other hand, like a lot of a lot of the stuff we did in school was a little bit self-indulgent and sort of like blocking out the whole rest of the real world mm-hmm. <laughs> because if we were obsessing over, you know, the alignment of an axis or a column with a wall, like that's important, but so is, you know, housing the unhoused. <laughs> you know, they can't really compare. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but having perfect alignment and measurements and having something be beautiful is important but like most people who experience these buildings aren't trained in how to read architecture they're the ones experiencing these buildings and so at the very least the building should a not harm their environment and community and b be able to make the people who are inside them like understand them and feel good Yeah. yeah yeah and c ideally help to repair and improve wherever they are the the setting the environment the damage yeah and so it sounds like you know you didn't have to think about climate and whatnot early on in your career which maybe helped you learn how to design a little bit more but then you had your 12 midlife crises about it (laughs) well it wasn't it felt like 12 but (laughs) that was just a made more than one it was definitely more than one um And so it really gives architecture like actual meaning, I think. Yeah, it's not <laughs> theoretical. It's yeah. it's very real. Yeah. Yeah. And so we thought we'd extend this conversation to more people in the architecture school at a town hall event. We really wanted to know what current students think about living eco values in the work world. And the conversation that we had really kind of blossomed and explored this bridge between visionary and hopeful ideas and the practicality of problem solving. We talked about finding a firm that matches your values and how to prevent burnout once you're working day to day and having to meet deadlines and live up to your boss's expectations or your clients. We came back around to housing as a human right and what does environmental justice mean to you And we also talked about the importance of pushing against outmoded paradigms, even 
in a limited role, such as being new and a firm. Dr. Georgia and Matthews, our moderator, kicks us off. I just like to hear from the people in the audience and you guys, your thoughts on moving forward in your career. Uh, are you worried about um, being able to push forward your ideas, your thoughts, your designs? Are you excited about going into a firm and coming up with new ideas? Okay, maybe more direct question, like all you guys are looking for work right now, right? When you guys are looking for jobs, what are some signals to you that's like, this is a firm that I know my voice is gonna be heard, or this is a firm I'm gonna be comfortable in sharing my opinion, or we have shared values. Like how do you guys, how are you guys like sussing this out? Or is it just like a crapshoot and yeah. <laughs> I think the first thing I, like to do is to find someone who looks like they're around my age and then like have like a conversation with them just because I feel like it's less intimidating that way and like I feel like people who are you know in a position that I'm about to be in might have better um, insight on like you know the job how they feel it might be more relatable to my experience if I were to you know go to that firm the firm that we work at they have a group called EP group and it stands for emerging professionals and it's really a group of all the young people at the firm they get together they talk about how they can improve the firm in different ways um, and we've both struggled in Photoshop so just for example we were like hey can we get a lesson on Photoshop um, so they're always trying to you know, make the firm a lot better by using like the younger people in the firm um, to speak up and say their opinions on what they think and what they've experienced in school and how it can help um, the firm just grow over time. Yeah, I kind of, I agree. Any, any firm that makes it very clear how much they value young people, like it seems like they wouldn't be saying that as, as clearly um, if they weren't looking for that. And I mean, for me personally, I also, I pay really close attention to how much they gravitate towards my thesis because I, and like my portfolio, because it really highlights my, like my passion for sustainability and uh, social justice and environmental justice. And if they get really excited about the projects that I've worked on or the competitions that I've participated in, um, I'm able to then tell that they are looking for someone like that but I've been interviewing a lot and I think that places will be upfront if they really see you as valuable. For me I'm personally very nervous about a full-time job. Um, at this stage in my life I want to work at a bigger firm. Um, I've worked small medium and now I want to try a larger firm but I'm very worried about being devalued through there being so many employees. So I think that's like a really great point um, in the interviewing process, sort of seeing if they're a good fit for me rather than if I'm a good fit for them. So it's like reframing the question almost, like you're going into this interview and they make it feel like you have very little to offer, but we actually as students have a lot to offer. So trying to find places to work already that are like, okay, we need what they have, even though they don't have all the technical information, like they will learn that. 
each one of you is doing really remarkable work in terms of building for the future, um, ecological design, sustainability, and grappling with all of the issues, honestly, that everyone under 35 is facing, right? Um, how do you all deal with just the enormity of that pressure, that thought bubble, and burnout this early in your career? Um, I don't know if each one of you are interning, but you're in the kind of decade of building. How do you preserve yourself? Shoot, I don't think I am doing a very good job at this, but uh, really it's learning your own personal limitations. I think, at least in this architecture space, a lot of folks have really lofty goals and we're taught that architecture can change the world and, you know, it, it touches every aspect of life and and you know when you're fed that you think that you kind of have to become a superhero in some ways and do it all but i've just been having to remind myself i'm one person and i have other things in my life that i care about part of it is learning to step back um, knowing when to take a break uh, and so i've been doing a little bit of that here and there <laughs> when I can. <laughs> no, I, I think you got a good point about priorities. <laughs> I heard, I think of like an interesting quote. I'm not sure who said it. I'm very sorry to whoever it is. But they said, responsibilities are either made of plastic or of glass. The plastic ones, you can let them drop and just pick them up afterwards. But the glass ones are things that you can't let fall. So you really have to figure out what is made of glass and what is made of plastic. <laughs> wow. I've never heard that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, I think immediately after my thesis, I was just kind of mentally drained from it all, you know? So I guess I took a year to just, like, recover from that. And now I'm trying to become more involved in AIA um, and just get involved within the community, you know? Yeah, I think post-thesis depression is so real. Um, you spend so long running on really fumes. You may not even feel that way when you're in it because you're just chugging along, but all of a sudden you just have this like vast expanse of your life ahead of you. And it was tough for me because I graduated December 2020, uh, so it was like, okay, thesis is over, close the laptop, and now I'm sitting in an empty room and there's like nothing else really going on. And so it was kind of anticlimactic in a lot of ways. Didn't have anyone to like hype me out of, you know, I was, just, I was like, all right, I'm done now. Um, but I would say for the folks that are going to go through that, I would really embrace that time and try and reframe it as something positive. Then Dr. Matthews turned to the subject of housing. I'm going to lead in, though, with housing as a human right. Um, and if anyone's familiar with the University of Maryland sort of curricular pedagogy, we love to throw that word in any time we can. There's a housing studio, right? Number one issue going forward, maybe in the 21st century, how do we house the greatest number of people? Um, what do you guys think about housing as a right, as a fundamental right? 
I think for the community that I'm serving particularly, um, trying to provide not just transitional housing, but a home and family. So for me, I'm trying to structure the housing as a home, home style. So having, I guess, communal spaces where they can cook together, hang out together. So it's not just about the housing, it's also what's within that building. Um, what can they do to bring them together? Um, especially with the LGBTQ community, often their family is chosen. Um, so this is sort of providing a, a chosen family or an opportunity to choose a family through that sort of connection. I was kind of looking at it through the lens of what can we do for the people right now who really need housing? And when I went to Baltimore, because I was trying to figure out exactly what the place needed, I just saw so many vacant lots everywhere, and it had the highest concentration of vacant lots in the entire city, and um, also the highest number of homelessness in the entire city, and I thought, you know, what's really needed is transitional housing, a solution for these people, like, in the now. And so my thesis project kind of became how can we look at these different vacant lots and see how they can take these people who have been, you know, quote unquote, discarded by society and place them in community within each other and heal through that connectivity. And um, I thought of the, the housing to be a place that fosters like community learning and healing and rehabilitation and just a place for people to transition into something better, into something more permanent. UMD participates in a yearly interdisciplinary competition sponsored by the Department of Housing and Urban Development, affectionately called HUD. It's a competition that UMD typically performs pretty well in, placing first in 2018, 19, and 22, second in 2016 and 2020, and made it to the finalists for the sixth time ever this year. The team, made up of designers, planners, and real estate developers, worked together to fulfill the need for affordable, sustainable housing in varying American cities. We were lucky enough to have Samanti Habib, representative of this year's team, with us to tell us more about the project in Chicago. We got the chance to speak to the uh, people who work at the shelter and they told us about the different services that they would like to include within the building. So not only were we thinking of like seniors and like people our age, but we also, you know, thought of the entire community of Chicago and included a lot of homeless sheltering within the design as well. So what I'm hearing is it's not so much about like, let's go out and build all this housing, but more so what our role is, is to how to build a community out of these buildings. I kind of said this like throughout my presentation when I was presenting my thesis that it's not so much about what we're designing like with the housing, it's how it serves those who use it. So I felt like I kind of had to decenter my like what I thought was important and just really put myself in not literally put myself in their shoes but like really think about things that would be important to people 
who are in that in that type of situation. And so I think like as you go throughout your thesis project, you know, thinking about like, okay, what specific needs can I really address with my project? Like getting into the specifics and it can be really impactful. This is really great what I'm hearing from our um, students and young practitioners is uh, a need for more collaboration in the design process, which may or may not have existed when some of the um, older people in the room came along and it was really top-down design, but it's actually listening to what the community needs um, because most of the time they know on how to design around that. Um, and so in looking forward, um, COP27, the um, climate panel on um, what's currently going on, when we think about environmental justice as designers, what does that bring up? And this is for everyone in the town hall. What do you feel about your role as designers in 2023? I think the main fight to create healing is that we as designers need to shift our thinking from like we know best and we are like god to we are giving the listening to the people hearing what they have seen and where they have been and where they want to be so i actually went to harlem park and it was part of a different project but i got to talk to all the residents and everything like the small businesses, the community kitchen, the library that's open, not just to the school, but to the community, were all things that were asked for directly by the residents. So I could point, if they were in the room, I could point to them and be like, look, your words are right here on the page. And that was really special to me and very counter to the old urban renewal thinking, which was like, we know best, we see your protest. They actually had a lawsuit against, uh, I guess, the federal government that didn't really do anything to try to stop it, but obviously didn't stop it. And they went through with it anyway without listening. So, yeah. Mm. I think a lot of times we think creating something new means making something out of nothing. Um, and I think that at this point in our time, there are so many building blocks around us to work off of, and it doesn't necessarily have to be something new. Healing can come from um, removal. It can come from removing something that has been blighting a neighborhood, um, or it can come from completely adapting something. Currently, there is an apartment building being built on Ava's thesis site at 1004th Street in southwest D.C., which will close off and privatize the entire block. Ava, for her part, had consciously designed her project to give everyone in the neighborhood permanent access to a very popular, well-used diagonal path across the site. To her, this is another face of environmental and social justice to acknowledge and reinforce community connections and cohesion through public space. I think it's important to like really think about the question you're trying to answer like when you're creating your thesis like and realize like at the end of it you might not have like a complete well thought out solution or answer to that question and so when we think about like environmental justice just even posing like or thinking about it and trying to come up with 
feasible solutions, I think that's like, that's powerful in itself. So, you know, it can be kind of daunting to like think about all the things that have happened, like because we have been so desperately wanting to progress, but now we're trying to reframe what progress really means. Um, I think it can be kind of daunting to think about all of that, but just like come up with a question that you really want to answer. Be, be okay if you don't fully answer that question or fully come to a solution and just be proud that you made the effort to tackle it. That is really, really an excellent comment. And I think, um, I think schools of architecture, I think people who work in the built environment are looking for um, thought-provoking suggestions, theses, ways of solving problems that haven't been thought of before, that aren't proven, um, and that don't adhere to um, sort of rigorous standards that are 30 or 40 years old. So I think it's really fantastic that you guys are pushing the boundaries of what's possible because that's what's needed right now. Um, you guys are embarking on professions or already in um, the early stages of your profession and you're bucking against um, maybe outmoded paradigms. What are your thoughts and challenges on dealing with that as you move forward? In her answer, Ava mentioned that she asks a lot of questions at work, both to learn and to challenge the status quo. It's not unusual for new designers to ask older mentors questions because it's understood that they have a lot to learn. But to Ava, it's also strategic to get people thinking more broadly about other ways to approach design problems or client groups or a community's history. I would say at this stage in our career, I think what Ava was saying, just posing questions like, why do we do it this way? Why not, you know, you know, think of a different solution? I think that can be powerful in itself. But, you know, at this stage in my career, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can, <laughs> you know, because I think the more I learn, the more I can see where things can be strengthened and where things are able to be pushed back upon and can change. Oh, I agree with both of you, but <laughs> I think maybe we don't realize when we push boundaries, like it can be accidental often because we, I don't think there's anything that's truly unique, that everything is based on something you've seen before, something you heard before, but each person's individual experiences add up to something completely different. So like, I don't know, in a meeting, one day uh, for a campus redesign, so we do educational architecture, higher institutions, uh, they were talking about making the campus more of like an insular community that's really cool with the dorms right next to the classrooms. And I say, well, what about the commuter students? And they're like, we don't really want to encourage commuter students. And I say, well, I was a commuter student because I couldn't <laughs> afford to live on campus or near campus. And they were like, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we often, yeah, we bring each of our individual experiences to a, the table in a new and different way that it might not be like, we broke a huge boundary, but it is new and special and different. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, like not forgetting that just because we are young professionals and we're new, we 
are still we still have many experiences that brought us up to this point and many of them are valid absolutely um it's really great to hear your observations um and i'm thinking um early on in my career i worked in public architecture as well melanie and we worked on a school um and i sort of quietly said well this school is a protected place and the students really love arriving here. And it was one of those 1970s brutalist forms of architecture. And it was in a time that my firm wanted to make everything glass in an environment in which glass is probably the last thing you wanted to design. Um, and our design, our proposal, um, took away the student's sense of security in its form and it made it a crystal box. And the students themselves had told us over and over again, they loved crossing the threshold of this really, really harsh uh, stone environment of a school because they knew on the inside courtyard they were safe. And so that was kind of about not listening. Um, and I don't know if I made my voice very um, easy to hear in that moment. Thanks for joining us for the first part of our final episode of Building Hope. Be sure to join us next time where we'll wrap up the season by considering what we're building hope for, being part of a movement, and the promise of working across disciplines. Building Hope is Julie Gabrielli, Director. Vincenza Perla, Research Assistant. Maisha Islam, Graphic Designer. Rona Cobell, Editor. Raymar Toizone, Music. Hannah Zozobrado. Assistant Producer and Social Media Head. Gabriella Feinberg, Technical Director and Producer. You can find images of these wonderful projects on our YouTube channel at Building Hope Pod. Visit our website, buildinghopepodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, guest bios, and curriculum materials. We're also on Instagram at Building Hope Pod. And on Substack at Building Hope. Please share, rate, and review Building Hope on your favorite podcast app to help others find us too. This project is supported by a Faculty Student Research Award from the Graduate School, University of Maryland, as well as grants from the University Sustainability Fund and the School of Architecture, Planning, and Preservation. <laughs>